The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers, and thank you for listening to Tomorrow We Die. A show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. In every episode, we will bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds just to lay their weary heads on a couch covered in cat crap. Yeah, that happens. Happens more often than not, uh, as we will discover, there are a couple cat crap stories on this episode. Cat shit is one of those things that just immediately stand out to you when you come into a stranger's home. Yeah, and, and the person who has the house is nose blind, uh-huh. <laughs> and you're not. Yeah, yeah, they're just used to living in that state. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I've been a cat owner most of my life. I've probably been nose blind at, at points, but I also clean my cat's cat box. So. Yeah, that's a major portion of adulting, uh-huh. I think. You know, even if you're a young adult, it's not that hard. No. You might argue with your roommate about whose turn it is to do it, but it's not that hard to do. Right. You know what I mean? It's about as difficult as brushing one's teeth. Or, Takes about as long. You know, making sure that you have clean socks on that day. <laughs> it's just basic hygiene, I guess. Let's stop apologizing for the cat shit houses. Yeah, it's not our fault. <laughs> we have nothing to apologize about. Uh, well, all right, before we get into the interview today, which we're quite excited about. Super. Super excited. Says, this is another bucket list. Yep, it is. Another bucket list for sure. interview, for sure. Let's check in with our new sponsors. Relapse Records. Yeah, they've got quite a few records just out or coming out. Uh huh. A couple of them I'm pretty excited about. The new King Woman record, I really liked their last record. It was one of those ones that was like a sleeper. It sort of slowly grew on me. And as I kept listening to it and listening to it, I was like, Oh, I really, really like this record a so, lot. So, like, we're now officially part of the the relapse, like, press fire hose. Yeah, sure we <laughs> so are. So I've been reading a lot about <laughs> King Woman, but I've never heard it before. Man, what go is back it? and listen to it. It's hard for me to explain. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's heavy, but it's not metal. Okay. It's kind of got this, uh, oh, I don't want to use the word gothy, but it's definitely got a dark atmospheric thing going on. It which looks gothy. With, yeah, without yeah. being, like you know, Sisters of Mercy or whatever. Right. It doesn't really sound like that, but it, it has that, you know, that vibe, that atmosphere. Right. It looks gothy in a Hellraiser way and not gothy in a like, oh, I'm looking at flowers in the yeah. dark kind of way. Right. <laughs> I think that is apt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> also, just came out, new Wolves in the Throne Room, Primordial Arcana. Oh my gosh. Wolves in the Throne Room is probably an internationally acclaimed black metal band. Yeah, um, now they are. But <laughs> they have we know those years. guys when they were dirty hippies living in Olympia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we used to play with the Hoodwinks all the time. I know both of our bands did. Yeah, dude, when Akimbo was coming up, that was one of the early goals. It it's was. Like, get a show in Olympia and play with the Hoodwinks. Yeah, That's and, what you uh, wanted to do. The, yeah, them and Behead the Prophet, No Lord Shall Live Absolutely. were like number one, number two, and then you'd know... If you could throw the whip or C average in there, you'd be <laughs> yeah. you'd be sitting pretty. Those are all the great uh, Olympia bands of our era. Totally. So a couple of the boys in the Hoodwinks went on to play the brothers in a black metal project called Wolves in the Throne Room, mm-hmm. and it was kind of weird at first. But man, they really hit their stride a couple years in, and yeah. then Relapse picked them up a while back. They've they've gone dark for a while, and they have a new album. So. I cannot even like I can believe it, but it just hit me out of the blue. This, this is such great news. Yeah, I would like to say that you know. You got to give them a lot of credit for basically creating the sub sub genre of Cascadian black metal. I want to say. Sure. Yeah. 
<laughs> making it possible for all the other Northwesterners to throw down with their particular brand of witchy black metal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looks like there's been a bunch of death reissues. Yeah, you know, that's always good. Little band called Death. Yeah, you can pick those up on vinyl for yeah. the first time since you can't afford the original yeah. issues. I'm addicted to relapses reissues right now. Yeah, they're killing it. I'm spending it. so much money. Mm. <laughs> I don't even have to. Careful. I'm still buying. <laughs> uh, new Amon Ra just came out. We have a live Pig Destroyer album. That's going to be exciting to listen to. Yeah. They're so good live. I mean, I'm wearing a Pig Destroyer shirt you, you at are. this moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's my, my favorite. Yeah, top five for me. We know Easy. this about you. Yeah, yeah. And then um, back in June, our buddies in Red Fang yeah. re- released their new album, Arrows. Yeah, they put a new album out, and yeah. it's another banger in classic Red Fang fashion. I think this one's better than their... I mean, I'm a fan of all of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't write bad music, in my no. opinion. They never have. No. They've always been a good band. Yeah, I think they just keep getting better. Over their career, they've played with levels of, like, grime and polish yeah, on their true. albums. And this one is, like, a return to form of the grimier albums. Oh, nice. But with the experience of having done polished albums. <laughs> <laughs> so best of both worlds is what you're it's, saying, John. It's so good. That's your review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it definitely reminds me of like the earlier records that got me super excited about Red yeah. Fang. I'm an appreciator of the whole damn catalog. Oh, yeah. I yeah. agree. They're great. And you know, something that uh, when I was going back and editing this, I was reminded again, as I was reminded when we did this interview, by the way, this was done in the deepest, darkest depths of COVID over the internet. So there is some of the typical internet audio issues. Yeah. Uh, but I was just reminded of how much I love those guys as people. You know, I would see them fairly regularly. I would do sound for them as much as possible. And, you know, early on our bands would play together and you talk to them and you realize like, oh, we're friends again. Oh, we never stopped being friends. I think we made better <laughs> friends just talking over the internet. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned that it was like during one of the dark phases of of COVID, where there <laughs> there still wasn't an end in sight. Yeah, um, <laughs> and all of us musicians are just sort of like agitated and yeah. shaking the whole time. Like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, we caught those guys during one of those dark moments. Yeah, and it's actually the reason that this chat with them is a two parter. Yep, is because the first night we talked to them, we were like, okay, let's do all these tour stories. We kind of had it planned out. And then we all got on the computer together and just like farted around for hours. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there was there like computer issues would cause us to mess around. And then by the time it's done, we were all, you know, definitely over the edge of that kind of drunk that you would get during the pandemic where you were like, eh, I don't care. I'm not going to see anybody tomorrow anyway. And uh, we were like, hey, you know, we should probably go back and do one more <laughs> so that we can talk about some of the other crap that you wanted to well, Yeah, talk like all the other tour stories that we yeah. didn't get to because we were being hams for, <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> Just like having fun talking to each other about stuff that isn't the podcast. Uh-huh. We got some good outtakes on that. Actually, some pretty funny stuff, Can't which I wait. enjoyed. And so without further ado, why don't we go ahead and play a song off of Red Fang's new record, Arrows. Get it on Relapse.
Aaron and Brian. Welcome. Hey Hello. Thanks for having hey, us. Hey, oh. Thank you. Good to see slash hear you. I am called Aaron Beam. <laughs> and I think that my uh, tag here on Squadcast is, am I not Hanson? Why is that? <laughs> because I'm, I had to wear a hat because my hair looks so stupid today. <laughs> so now you're a Hanson <laughs> brother? I didn't want the podcast listeners to hear how dumb my hair looked. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it might mess up, you know, our flow a little bit. One of the things that I do is I stand around on stages and go plink plonk on a bass guitar and I mm. yell into a microphone in front of people for a band called Red Fang. Mm. Red Fang! Red Fang. I'm Brian. I also plink plonk, but on a smaller instrument um, with five strings <laughs> instead, of, instead of four. And uh, I'm currently in Welch's, Oregon. Well, you guys are in... Red Fang. Mm-hmm. I think Red Fang is well known for how much you tour. You guys tour a lot, right? Yeah, Road Dogs. Yes, that's one of the things that people say about us. They don't say that we play a ton of notes. They say <laughs> that we play, <laughs> they say we play a ton of shows. That is uh-huh. true. That's how we get our quantity of notes out there. Mm-hmm. Is you play fewer notes a larger number of times. Yeah, you're making up for the notes with the shows. Mm-hmm. So you guys have been touring for a long time obviously, and often. What was the start of the band like? Tell us about your first tour. Brian, do you remember our first tour? Vaguely. Uh, (laughs) That's the way it should be. It was the West Coast tour with the Portals, if if I'm not mistaken, yes? Yeah. It was exciting. I think it was great because we were friends with the Portals. So it was like a, you know, it was a bro fest down the West Coast. Was not financially successful, I don't think. Uh. (laughs) It was. That's one thing that I think that... Is that true? It wasn't like... We were getting rich from that tour. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what we mean by money. Sure. But one of the things that I think that has been pretty remarkable about this band is aside from some of the tours that we've known ahead of time that, like, there's no fucking way we can make money on this tour. Yeah. And so we're going to have to get some sort of, like, help from somebody through sponsorship or, like, some sort of help from Relapse or whatever. Those things came way down the line when it was like, okay, it's worth investing in this band. Yeah. But every tour that we booked ourselves, we... At the very least, broke even. If not, That's came cool. home with like two or three hundred bucks. You know, nice. we weren't getting That's rich, great. but we have never actually lost money on a tour. Maybe we've lost somebody else money, <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't lose any money. <laughs> Good for you. The other thing about that Portals tour, this is not like the most exciting thing, but for me, it's pretty exciting. Was that Aaron Draplin, who is sort of like earlier on in his design career. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not that early, but he wasn't like a famous, he wasn't doing signs for Obama yet at that point. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He did the poster for that tour and the poster is awesome. It and is can, awesome. It would be. Yeah. And you can yeah. find it on his website. It was super duper fun. And it was actually the first tour that I personally ever went on with a rock band that I was like, had creative input in. Gotcha. When was that? That tour must've been what? 2006 or seven or something. I think it was 2006. Yeah. I mean, so I was, I was probably 33 years old and that was the first like real, like my band going uh-huh. on tour ever. But the tour you did before that, you were playing saxophone in uh, Ape Shape, right? That's right. Playing saxophone. <laughs> And also, and Mike Clark, who played with Steve Malkmus, was the keyboard player in that band. Uh And he couldn't make that tour because he was on tour with the Jicks. Uh And so he just taught me the keyboard parts. And so there was actually some points at which I was playing keyboard and saxophone at the same time. Oh, that's my instrumentalist. And I got laid. 
<laughs> Zero times. Well, yeah, you would. And that's, and that's when Brian saw you, and he's like, that guy. I got to get that guy yeah. in my band. Yeah, we should start a band together. <laughs> Brian was like, I need someone less cool than me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of you being, like, older when you started touring, because I didn't start touring into my very late 20s. Like, I think I was 28 when I went on my first tour, and I didn't start touring regularly till I was 29 or 30. A lot of people, like John, for example, started touring a lot yeah, younger. Much younger. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, it's interesting to hear that you say that. Anyway, I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, <laughs> I just got excited about that because I wasn't the only late bloomer. I'm a late bloomer in many, many ways. <laughs> many, <laughs> many, many ways. Yeah. But uh, there's sort of like one defining moment, I feel like, of that first tour, which for me set the tone for what Red Fang as a live band was going to be all about uh-huh. and it was super important and it was a show that we played in a town called Al- Alameda California sure. mm-hmm. which I think is only famous for being the site where Mythbusters shoots all of their like abandoned yeah they uh, go out to uh, Alameda California and they <laughs> blow shit up or whatever. <laughs> yeah or they like drive a semi trailer down a, an airport runway that's totally <laughs> disused but we had a show there at a place called John Henry's that I think Chris Coyle, who has been the tour manager, Road Dog for Red Fang for years and years and years, and has been on pretty much almost every single tour we've done. We hear that name a that. lot, Chris Coyle's yeah, name. shout out to yeah. Chris. Yeah, huge, yeah. huge shout out. In fact, he may get his own episode someday. He I deserves so. his own episode. He's got better stories, and he's a, he's a better storyteller. He's the only person I know who grew up in the North who has the same wealth of like sayings and quips as people who grew up, especially in Georgia, like a lot of people from Georgia seem to just have <laughs> a nonstop true. street of like. <laughs> They'll say shit and you're like, what is that? And I don't know. It's That's just hotter strange. than a two peach yeah. fire in the, you know, and you're like, what? <laughs> That's like. <laughs> you know, the depths of outer space or whatever. <laughs> people from Georgia are going to be like, that guy fucking nailed a Georgia accent. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> mm. But anyway. You guys keep sidetracking me. I'm trying to tell Sorry. a story here and <laughs> trying okay, to keep the script that you guys set for me. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. We almost called this podcast Rabbit Holes. Yeah. <laughs> Chase them down rabbit holes. <laughs> so anyway, we're playing in Alameda at a place called John Henry's. Chris Coyle had booked the show and he was like, he has, you know, he has a few tendencies towards anxiety because he wants to make sure things are good for everybody, which is one of the things that makes him a great tour manager mm-hmm. is that. He wants shit to be good. And leading up to it, he's like, fuck, man, I'm not so sure about this place. It's I'm getting weird vibes from it. And for some reason, that day we were talking about the band Fang. Yeah. Fang. Uh, mm-hmm. who, I was a huge you, fan. Yeah. I was familiar with them basically through the multitude of covers that um, Seattle bands did of, of that course. song, yeah. Money Will Roll Right In. Yeah. And I think that we should have a little poll that posts as people are listening that distracts them from as they're driving down the highway, a little poll that pops up like, which cover of this song is your favorite? (laughs) (laughs) One of 17. We were talking about that band, and I think we were talking about the fact that Sammy, Sammy Town, who was... Sammy Town. Yeah, had like been arrested and was like, we were like, I think he maybe just, I think he's from around here, and I think maybe... He recently got let out of prison or something. And like, yep. Real quick, clarify that because Sammy Town just sounds like the nickname for some shitty town. No, it's a dude. And that is a musician. Real dude. Yeah. yeah. The singer for Fang. Fang. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the singer of the band Fang, which is, you know, a, a punk band that predated us by a couple yeah. of years. And when we first started out, people, of course, were just like, Red Fang, what is this like? Some 
fucking bullshit version of Fang. Oh, that's some stupid shit to say, but sure, yeah, I'm sure you got that a lot. Yeah, and the other fun thing was when we first started out, there was another band from Portland called White Fang. Oh, hmm. I remember them. Yeah. I do. I remember I remember the whole controversy, actually. Such a huge controversy! <laughs> no, it was not a controversy. I may, might have taken it a little too far. It was like a, oh, there's like two bands called something Fang from Portland. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a Portland controversy right there. <laughs> <laughs> For the people who don't know, it's actually really fucking hard to like start a band and have a band name that isn't exactly like or identical to another band name. Sure. They're kind of all taken. Yeah. I would say if you're going to start a band, just don't start it with the word black because <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous. You got, you got like Black Sabbath, you got Black Widows, you got Black. It's just like, come on, guys. What? There's other, there's way more colors than that one. Amen. <laughs> there was a, there, there was a period when Akimbo was touring a whole bunch where I almost called one of our records Black Wolf Cobra Venom or something like that. Yeah, like, sure, because there's so many all bands. The other bands. There's, <laughs> there's, I think there's a bunch of goat bands, too. It was like yeah, Black yeah, yeah. Wolf Goat Cobra or something. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I actually went so far as to make a list of words that you should not use in your band name. And one of them was Black. That was mm-hmm. the first one. Another one was Acid. You can't use mm-hmm. that word. Mm-hmm. Knowing me, I probably still have it somewhere. I jotted it down like on a scrap of paper, but... I was pretty adamant about. Listen, if you're gonna call your, if you're gonna have a band name, you need to like figure it out, and it can't have these words in it, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But Fang was not the Fang was not no never not a word fang. there. It is now though. It's too many Fangs. There's Fang. There's Red Fang. And there's White Fang. Done. Okay, so we put into context who Sammy Town is. We pulled into this into the parking lot, and we're just sitting there. We're obviously way too early because I think our previous show was in San Francisco, which is like. Mm-hmm. 32 minutes away from Alameda. Easy uh, cruise. Exactly. And we're like, ah, f- whatever. I guess uh, everybody's bored of trying to chase crackheads away from our vans and breaking our windows. So maybe let's just go over to Alameda and hang out in a parking lot over there. And we'd been talking, like I said, we've been talking about Fang and about Sammy Town. And lo and behold, of all the places for Sammy Town to show up, he was at the very bar that we were playing in Alameda what? that night, John Henry's. <laughs> but it was by accident. He didn't show up because oh, of no. the marquee. No, no, he wasn't oh, trying no. to see the band. There was no marquee. There was this place. <laughs> had... This was like one of the darkest pits a rock band could stop in at. And he was just hitting in for a beer. Yeah. It was like complete, total coincidence. Though You know, it's one of those things where you're like, wouldn't that be weird if you if I was like, here I am in... Yeah. In Istanbul, wouldn't it be weird if I saw that guy from Istanbul? (laughs) (laughs) So this club is like, it's not a club. It's an old band bar. And there's like three people inside when we get there. Mm -hmm. And this lady shows up and she's like, hey, I'm whatever her name is, Janice. And I'm performing tonight. And we're like, awesome. That's great. I'm excited to see what you do. And so she sets up her crap. She, you know, puts up these speakers and then yeah. ends up doing a spoken word performance, basically, because it's just her. Yeah, okay. <laughs> playing like jazz something, like ukulele or something. She had some instrumentation, which was real weird, like violin, maybe, in spoken word. It was it was interesting mix. It was something that wasn't quite right. Yeah, exactly what you want to play with at a rock show. 
Yeah. yeah, and remember, this is us yeah. and Portals, who were who yeah. the predecessor to Lord Dying. Oh, that's good that you said that, because I think people might have gotten that wrong. I put a little mental pin inside of my brain, and then I was like, fuck, that hurts. And so I, <laughs> so I took it out. Good job. Thank you. And so she's like, cool, man. Well, that was fun. Uh, and then she starts tearing down all of her equipment, including the PA. Yeah. And we were like, uh, uh, um, excuse me, ma'am. Can we, sorry, can we maybe borrow that from you? And so she agreed to like, fuck, okay, sure. What you're saying is, is that this quote club that you're supposed to be playing at didn't have a PA and. Well, mostly likely didn't care because. Sure. I mean, you want to get into how we got paid. I mean, the gal was like, can we use your PA? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but you don't know me, and you gotta go, and you take your stuff. Yeah, so anyway, sure. so we had no PA, so it was instrumental rock all, all night, which you know, which is fine. I I did that for years, but uh, it was a it that was a rocky show. I mean, basically, they, there was no cover at the show. Yeah, their pay structure for bands when they would play there is that they would increase the price of drinks by a dollar. During the show, mm-hmm. so we were sitting in there, and they in doors, whatever that means. When there's no door guy and, yeah. and no, there's no cover. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, doors were at like seven, and at seven, so we were drinking like PBRs for three dollars a piece, and then I ordered one at like seven fifteen, and it was like four dollars. I'm like, well, why is it four dollars? Like, oh, we got to pay the bands. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> in the band. Like, yeah, yeah. You're in the band. They're like, yeah, it's policy. I'm like, but you're going to just give that dollar back to me? Are you telling yeah. me? Every time I buy a beer, I've got to give like six cents to every other musician that's playing today. That's like, I'm being for playing this show. It was worse than that, right? Because they took an extra dollar per beer and then gave half of it to the band. So you were you were paying an extra 50 cents to drink a beer. It's the most ghetto pay-to-play situation ever. It sounds like it. Was there at least like a, a good amount of people there to like fill the coffer to pay the bands? No, there were six people there. And we knew all of them. <laughs> so it's pretty much the bands buying beer to pay the bands. <laughs> so I said earlier that we never lost money on a tour. That's not to say that we lost, didn't lose money on individual shows. Of course. So that was one where I think that it was like Night Goat or something. There was some friends of ours came out from San Francisco and there was like, I think three people who were friends of ours, three people, just old men sitting at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Tina, I think, was there. Yep. Yep. For sure. Lost Goat? Yes. Lost Goat. That's what it was. Not Night Goat. Lost Goat. Thank you. I love them. Those are great friends of mine. I played with them a million times. Yeah, they're sweet. And so we were on last for whatever reason. And so Portals played and they there was some weird stuff that was going on with their band. And one of the things that was weird about them was that at that time, Eric, the guitar player, who's the yeah. singer and guitar player for um, Lord Dying, he carried okay. all of all of his gear, all of his pedals and cables in a like full size 80s suitcase. Yeah, like one of those like Samsonite ones, you know, like that you see the like gorilla throwing. Exactly, but it was more like it was like Simpsonite. Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> it was like the knockoff Samsonite. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. And the thing was, they were struggling real hard on stage. They were like maybe having some problems playing, and I think both Eric and um, Bobcat 
Eric and yeah. Bobcat had their amps mm-hmm. up like super loud. And Chris Coyle actually was just like, this is just ridiculous. He's like, we're in a <laughs> tiny bar. There's six people here. And they've yeah. got they've got full stacks so fucking loud you can barely hear the drums at all. No quarter. No so quarter. He just, so he turns he just like turns down their amps like while they're playing. He's just like, fuck you, turn down, fuck you, turn down for the first two or three songs. And then during like the third or fourth song, he just reaches up he's a tall guy, you can reach him, and he just shuts off both their amps at the same time. And they just have this fucking blowout, like, fuck you with your fucking volume. And they're like, fuck you, and whatever. It was just crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Guys, this is insane. But, I mean, why would you bring in a full stack to a room that probably has a 50-person capacity? So, Portals had a breakdown on stage. And we were like, play Stormbringer, which is a song that they never played live, and they never recorded. Uh-huh. And we loved that song. And they were so mad at each other, they wouldn't play it. They got in, like, just a full-on, they just stopped playing and started arguing with each other. In full volume in front of everybody. And the culmination of it was Bobcat just being like, Eric, what the fuck is up with you carrying one totally disorganized cable and two pedals inside of this giant suitcase? It's fucking bullshit. (laughs) And then he he put his foot through the suitcase to emphasize his point. Mm. You know, of course, it got stuck on his foot. And, you know, it was like one of those like totally anticlimactic, you know, moments of like, fuck you. I'm going to fucking stop. Oh, shit. God, it's stuck on my foot. Oh, my God. I'm falling over. (laughs) It's like Laurel and Hardy. Exactly. But of course, yes, it had there was one one broken cable and one pedal inside of this huge suitcase. It really he had a point. It didn't really make any damn sense. But in that moment, I, for one, was taking notes. And I was like, this is a lesson. I mean, much love to Portals. I love all of those guys. And I, I love dying guys, everybody in that band. They're fucking you awesome. Know, over time, I've liked all everybody that's been in that band. But the lesson that I learned was don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh-huh. enough. So we played after that, and we had just witnessed this thing. And I think that we all, without ever talking to each other, we were just like, that is kind of not really what we're hoping for, for this, you know, for this band and for like yeah. leaving our homes and going on tour for long stretches of time is what we're all sort of like anticipating and hoping for. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to do that, there's a couple <laughs> rules and they were, they were unspoken in the beginning. Right. One of them was yeah. do the best possible show that you can do. Play the show that you would play for 3000 people, even if there's three people there. Absolutely. You just, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. If you believe in the thing that you are doing musically and you are stoked to be playing with the people that you're playing with and you're stoked to be playing the songs that you're playing, it doesn't fucking matter at all how many people are there or whether they're paying attention or anything. That is totally irrelevant. And that was like, and it's super important guiding principle, I think, to the band from the beginning. And that show is what sort of crystallized it for me, like what made it apparent to me on a philosophical level or something like. Again, we didn't talk about it. It was just we all, without even uttering a word, just behaved, you know, according to those principles. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was one that we actually did talk about, which is when people compliment your band, if you felt shitty about the show, it doesn't matter at all. Don't say anything. 
It doesn't matter it. how. No, you do say something. You say thank you. Yeah, you say thank you. Yeah. You don't talk about the shitty show. Exactly. Which is a lesson that I'm still learning. If somebody says you had a good show and you say, oh, we were terrible, you're insulting their taste. Yes, it's you're true. being rude to them. So you so you just got to just eat it and smile. You know, it's, like yeah. that, that <laughs> is, it's a policy. It could be hard for an artist. I think most people are pushing themselves to do something, right? And you're like, you're the only person who does it as much as you do, right? So... Oftentimes, I mean, some people will never, ever acknowledge when they do something awesome, right? They're they're constantly down on themselves. But like, usually, like I know when I play a show and I don't fuck up a bunch, you know, and and I've been to every single Sandwriter show. I'm probably the only person (laughs) aside from Matt and Jesse, right? And like, I know what the best one was and I know what the worst one was and I, I know how to grade it in between. So yeah, it can be hard to like eat your feelings in that moment and just nod and be like, hey, thanks, man. When you're like, I do not feel good about what I just did. Yeah. You're like, uh, my amp blew up while we were on stage, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> People love to see a train wreck. A, a, they do. Fire. <laughs> Absolutely. A total, mm-hmm. a total nightmare. Like one of our one of our best show, we did a festival tour. There were these parties on Monday nights because we had Monday nights off. Anyway, we, so we were partying our faces off. Well, anyway, Aaron got really, he really partied. In any case, to the point where he was, you know, shooting liquid out of his face and his ass and he was just, I just can't do it i can't play the show <laughs> so we went out and we played the show without aaron it's the only show i've ever played without him in red fang and i was like we've never done this before aaron partied like crazy he can't come he can't do the show i don't think i maybe i didn't say that you partied i just said you were very yeah. ill <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i mean that's the truth he was fucking he got hammered yeah but anyway those Monday parties were meant to punish. But in any case, mm. so we played this show, but the crowd was fucking insane because I was like, we've never done this before. And we tried to play songs where, you know, there's huge in- bass instrumental breaks where there's yeah. basically we're standing around doing nothing. Like I'm trying to know, like, well, I've never played this before, making shit up. Anyway, the crowd <laughs> fucking loved it. They're like, you guys are probably in hell, but... I love watching you try to survive this half an hour. Yeah, totally. And we did. And the crowd really responded. I was like, huh, all right. That's awesome. And then I think later in that tour, a family member of mine got ill and I had to leave the tour for two days. So the other three dudes, they went on and played shows without me. And that was a trial, I'm sure. Just be like, well, where did where'd that guitar solo go or yeah. whatever? Or what songs do we play? Because I sing, you know, a fair amount of the songs. Those were the best merch selling shows of the tour. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> they don't need you. <laughs> my, my job security is fucked. You make more money without me and you only got to split the money three ways? Shit. It's so funny. That's a long-winded way of saying that people do. They love they love seeing yeah. the worst. Like, how do you, like, watching people overcome adversity on stage is, even if it means that the songs aren't perfect or whatever, it's like, you don't have to apologize for doing a, you know, a bad yeah, job. Yeah, if your you amp just, blows up, it's not your fault. You just tough it out right. if I can play and, uh, you know, do that thing. You're telling that story and I, I'm trying to, like, walk, back through my head of like what would a red fang song sound like without bass it's fucking weird yeah, <laughs> it sounds better sadly <laughs> no it <laughs> no way it does hey no you way. just said you're not allowed to do that aaron <laughs> i could do it now i could do it with people who aren't fans <laughs> it's true we're not fans <laughs> hey oh um, 
Friends, not fans. But it's true. You know, when somebody was like, that was a great show. And you didn't necessarily feel like it was your best show. One of the other things that I think is important is, you know, we're, we live in a day and age when there's a lot of smartphones and people recording shows. And so you get to actually see some of the, the you can replay what just happened. Yeah. And it turns out that all those things that in your head that you're like, oh, fuck, that was just like terrible. It may be just that you were in a bad mood that day. And you actually didn't play any worse than you did the night before. And you just happened to be like, I didn't sleep very much. And I had like weird diarrhea today and there was no place to shit because yeah. we were in these, you know, gas stations with no locks on the doors. It's a totally subjective thing, somebody's interpretation of your show. And so if they tell you that it was a great show, for them, it was a great show. And it's actually, like Brian said, it's it's rude for you to say your opinion in this case is wrong. Right. It's a good call. Because they also, you know, maybe you're never going to be there again. And how can it be that somebody's opinion is wrong? Of course it's not wrong. They're right. It was a great show. And I'm wrong. Well, no, I'm not wrong. But uh, <laughs> agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah. I remember what I was going to say is that there's a difference between like the musician side and the human side. And you have to react to what someone is saying as a human when they're reacting to your show and not what you feel as a musician. Because the human connection is what music is all about in the end anyway, right? Yeah. In the live space, that's what it's or all even about. In, it's even in the practice space. Sure. Even when you're writing a song by yourself, it's about trying to connect with some part of your own humanity and the part of you that feels like you are an emotional being connected to the ether and the cosmos that when you're just by yourself writing, you know, playing acoustic guitar... You're not doing that because you're like, oh, maybe I can get rich from this or maybe I can get somebody to like yeah. me. You're like just trying to connect with some part of yourself that you can't express in words or you can't express in any other way because you are the type of person who expresses those things through going ding dong ding with your guitar strings. Yeah. Chug, chug, chug. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing I want to ask you guys about since we're, we're kind of on the subject of um, the origin of Red Fang and, and your guys' first tour and always play hard, accept the compliments, don't fight on stage, let's celebrate what we do no matter what's going on personally. It's the thing that you guys do, which I've never seen anyone else do, which to me is just like, it's just so cool. Every time you guys play a show, before you start playing, you guys all make eye contact with each other and shake each other's hands. Oh my God, that is so true. And it's so cool. So cool. How did you guys start? Was that, did that just like come around or was that like an intentional thing that you guys started or what? Uh, I've never noticed. Do we, have we, do we do that? (laughs) Uh, Every show I've ever seen you guys, you do that. I think we started that pretty early on, maybe first or second year we started touring. But I think because, you know, touring, as you guys know, it's just like you're stuck in a van together and you're, you're so forced together that I think that people just try as soon as you get out of the van you run away as far as possible and <laughs> you're like oh what are you do? you're going to Jamba Juice fuck it I'm jumping into this you know manhole I, I'm doing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in any case so so we would do that and I think that's part of your sanity on the road is to have your own space and do your own thing so you know I would go whatever I would probably find some 
you know, dive bar and, and have cheap beer and Aaron might go do something slightly healthier, <laughs> you know, whatever. But we'd all go do our separate things. But then so we'd come back and we'd be like, well, all right, we're sound check is done. Our show time is at nine o'clock, whatever. So we get back at, you know, eight fifteen or whatever. And we all have our rituals and we all, you know, get ready for the show or whatever. But I think that the part of it was like that super extreme get me the fuck away from these people for three or four hours. We wanted to reconnect. So we started doing that pretty much organically, like, hey, let's have a good show. And we started doing handshakes backstage before we went up there. Like, I, you know, I know that your farts were terrible today. And I, I know that you, know, <laughs> you were playing the stereo and I hated your music or whatever. But it's like, I don't give a fuck. I love our music and I love playing music with you. And I think we just start, we sort of did that totally organically. And then I don't know whose idea it was, but we were like, why don't we do that on stage? right before we actually do the thing because it is a good idea it is a good idea we i mean that's the idea of being in a band i mean if you know if i didn't love being in a band the whole point is the inner communication and the and the sharing of stuff if i didn't love being in a band and collaborating then i would be like a visual artist i used to paint i i could do things i'm not saying it would be great but i could do things on my own but i love collaboration and i think one of the most important things about being in a band is recognizing that you are just one equal piece in a thing and we all need to do it, you know? And so it's just a, every show, it's a reminder, like no matter where your headspace is or whatever, it's like you can throw your own shit out because they depend on me. I depend on them. And it's just a reminder. And so I've, I really like it. You know, it's like, no matter how crazy, like if I'm super hungover, or I feel terrible or, whatever yeah. it's like that moment i'm like oh yeah this is the four of us doing this thing and yes. this thing is more important than me this is important for all four of us and we get together and do it and i and i really feel like it's important for us to do it and to continue to do it i'm sure a lot of bands do it like mentally or they have yeah but not like you know. not like that the first time i saw you guys do that i went holy shit, that's fucking genius. And I was an Android hero at the time. And we kind of started doing that because we wanted to bond a little bit, you know, and even like I've seen bands like, oh, they'll hoist a shot before and they'll take that one second, you know? And I think there's something to be said to take that couple of seconds to just look at each other and be like, you fucking ready? We're in this together. Let's fucking do this. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Absolutely. And I've never, yeah. I've never seen it until I saw you guys like, like numerous times, like, oh, all right. Pause, shake hands. All right, let's go, boys. And you fucking did it. And that was a huge, like, honestly, it was like a big revelation for me, you know, because band, like you say, bands have done it figuratively, but have they ever done it actually? I, don't I know. think a lot of bands do that backstage. Like Brian said, it, it started real early on for us. That was an early tour thing because... Like I said earlier, I was 33 when we did our first tour. Yeah. And we're yeah. already all, you know, kind of settled into our adult selves at that point. But it was born of we're playing in a lot of clubs that don't have dressing rooms. Yeah. You know, there is no backstage. And so yeah. the first time that we see each other after getting out of the van once we arrived at the club was the second that we arrived on stage to play the show. Yeah, and it didn't happen at the very beginning, but I think that that was was a distillation of the attitude that came out of that night in Alameda, California. What yeah. 
Yeah, just to bring it back around. Yeah, that's where that all started was that attitude came from there. And then it turned into that, like Brian said, totally organically. There was no no sort of like, hey, what should we do that would be a really funny, weird thing on stage that you've never seen before? (laughs) We're not, (laughs) like everybody always asks us like, what did you guys, what was your plan for the band? And like, how did you decide to play this? We're like, what? Uh, It was a total, like no planning at all. There's no, we've never thought... We, we're not clever enough or smart enough or talented enough, honestly, to do anything intentionally. <laughs> yeah, I threw plenty of tantrums. I threw a lot of tantrums, especially on the first like big tour with Clutch. And because uh, I was like on the way across the country, on the way to meet up with Clutch for our first show with them in. Um, I think the first show was actually somewhere in like Kentucky or something. We missed it because yeah, okay. Nashville or Kentucky or somewhere something. around there, but we couldn't make yeah. it because in Hayes, Kansas, on the way to from Denver to wherever the fuck that we we're going to stay spend the night, I had just these intense abdominal pains, and I'd had a kidney stone a few years earlier. Oh uh, yeah, I've had those. They're, They're horrible, and so I was just like writhing around in the back seat with these pains, and we ended up just pulling over in Hayes, Kansas, and going to the ER. And I had a bunch of uh, tests done and a CAT scan and blah blah blah. Turned out that it was gallstones. Oh, another stone. You can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're rock. Whoa! Oh, you are. You are now. Hi, rock. Yeah, nobody should have any stone of any kind inside it i was pretty surprised to find out that when i finally passed my kidney stone that it isn't it's called a kidney stone because it is literally a stone it is actually made yeah but it's a it's a very small rock oh, though well but when it leaves your pee hole it seems huge yeah i mean it's it's yeah it's, <laughs> it's, right it's small by uh the standards of boulders or river yes. rocks, <laughs> but by the standards of things that you want to pass through your penis, yeah, it's bigger. It's it bigger large. and and yeah. much more um, jagged. jagged and stone like yeah. than anything that you. <laughs> yes. Mostly, I think people are used to passing liquids through their urethra. Yes. And <laughs> but when something rattles around when you pee, that's when you know it's bad. Yeah, I've never had one, but I know how the science works. Good for you, John. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of those experiences where uh, you find out how much the human body can stretch. It is. You can find out how much the human body can handle pain, too, which is not that much. You just start puking. <laughs> You're right. I vomited from when I had my kidney stone. I, they didn't give me um, – yeah. they wouldn't give me – painkillers, no matter how much I told him. Oh, you're at the wrong hospital, It wasn't son. until I started vomiting that they were like, oh, he's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break and listen to some more Red Fang. Yeah. We're going to go all the way back to the start of their band. This is my favorite song of theirs, mostly just because it just reminds me of when I first heard of them sure. and first saw them. And the video for this song is just chef's kiss hilarious. <laughs> it's so good. This is off their very first release. It's called Prehistoric Dog.
In the explosion of legalized marijuana in Washington, it's no surprise that someone from our music community got involved. But Saints owner, Lawrence Perigo, is an old friend of ours from the band Wormwood, one of the heaviest bands in Seattle back in the day. Their flower is grown with no-till gardening, all organic. They feed the soil using all organic methods, and the soil feeds the plants. Specializing in pre-rolled joints and mostly compostable packaging featuring art from amazing artists. Check out the joint sessions on their website featuring Spotify playlists curated by artists, musicians, and friends of Saint Joints. Find them online at saintsjoints.com. Saints Joints are currently available in Washington and Oklahoma. It's good weed from good people. Pick up a pack of Saints Joints and know that you are helping the environment, the arts, and your own relaxed self as you drift into space. The first tour was with fucking champs. Was well, that was the first tour that we did on our on our own. Was with the fucking champs. right. Oh, the first one we did after we signed. The yeah. first like big tour was with Clutch, and to be a band that no one had heard of, and to get on a tour with Clutch was like holy shit this is like big yeah that was a big deal fucking shit that we can actually do these shows with these guys and we were super nervous and on the way out i had a gallbladder attack and we missed our first show and the very first show we played with him was in huntington west virginia yeah and we rolled in and we were super late already and their tour manager oscar who is now a dear friend of ours terrified us and it was just like <laughs> looking at his watch and just like disapproving looks at us. He's like the kind of a scary dude. And we're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. We're already totally fucking up because, you know, we're trying to not fuck up is mostly what we're trying to do in the early stages of being in this band. And that's like, honestly, what's continued to be our ethos is <laughs> just don't be dicks and don't fuck up. If like yeah. the people at the festival say you have 50 minutes to do your set, we set our watches for 50 minutes and then we look at each other and I'm like, we have four minutes left. And we try to, like, if we have to be done two minutes early to meet our 50-minute slot, we're going to be done two minutes early because we just are nerds about that kind of shit. We just don't want to, <laughs> like, what's the point of pissing off the people who are, like, trying to help you, you know? Yeah. Like, there's this attitude about so many bands that are just, like, you know, like, fuck rules, fuck all this shit. It's like, this festival, they don't have to book you. The festival that you play yeah. in France that you've never been to France and Hellfest is like, we would love to have Red Fang play at our festival. Why would you be like, fuck you, Hellfest. We're going to play long. Yeah. <laughs> why do you do, why would you do that? Thing. Well, I would like to add, or maybe to sum up as far as that goes, is we have a, an expression, and I'm sure uh, whatever, but we've been saying it forever, but Red Fang puts the punk and punctual. Uh, oh, I use that expression nice. too. Nice. <laughs> it's cool because Brian came up with it and then you guys all adopted it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, exactly. You said a second ago, well, maybe probably like 20 minutes ago now, your guys' first U.S. tour was with the Champs? First full U.S., yeah. We did, well, we did our own out and back, but we met up with them. We did East Coast with uh, Birds of Avalon and the fucking Champs. So that's uh -huh. pretty Fucking awesome. <laughs> and the Jams toured in a, in a rented black Lincoln, like super <laughs> nice car. And they just borrowed gear. And they were very generous. I mean, they paid for like gas for Birds of Avalon and they used their back line and whatever. Uh -huh. They were super pimping. Yeah. But uh, yeah, super fun. It was crazy. I, I don't know. We met up with in, in Chicago or something. I can't remember. Atlanta. 
Atlanta. And we went all the way to Chicago. Is that right? Yes. So that's the band's first time getting out of the West Coast and going into exploring the depths of America. Anything happened there? Well, we sold shit. It was crazy. We were like selling like $400 in burned CDs. <laughs> and like at the end of the night, I'd be like, what would we sell? Or like $430. I'm like, holy crap. I was like, it, I'd never, I mean, I've been touring in bands for, you know, 10, 15 years. I'd never, I mean, that'd be like a whole tour worth of t-shirt sales. And I was yeah, like, sure. this is awesome. Yeah. Especially being, we were the first of three and we were a completely unknown band. But we were connecting with the crowd, and I, th- I think that was the first time that I – well, maybe not the first time, but that – no, I think that was when I – I think Aaron and I were sitting in the car talking, and we're like, all right, so what's the band generating right now, money-wise? He's like, X dollars, okay. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's like working part-time at a 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing what I love, and I was like, this <laughs> Fucking awesome. I was so happy, you know, and I think that, you know, was really encouraging because we had no press machine. We had no big label. There was nothing going for us except for the music we were playing and connecting to a crowd. Luckily that we had friends, you know, from way back when, like, you know, my old band used to tour with the fucking champs, you know, back in the way back in the day. But it was like, you know, these people kind of understand our style of music or whatever. So we got a leg up there. But it's like, if we can just keep getting these opportunities, this might work. Yeah. And now I think that was just like a really shocking moment for me. I was like, holy crap. Like, one of the things I like to say is, as far as making it in the music business, is that it's kind of like smashing your head against a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, well, that's unpleasant. Yeah. And they go do something else. But I continued to do it. And I looked up one day, and it was somewhere on that tour. And there was a tiny hole in the wall. Like, oh my God, we're getting through this motherfucker. And it was crazy. Anyway, it was just so, that was such a satisfying tour. Even though I think we wanted to kill each other most of the time. And it was probably one of the least pleasant interpersonally tours ever. But successful for the band. And like we say with the hand and everything else, it's like, okay, no matter how mad we get about anything, when it comes down to it, what are we doing together? And are we going to lift up, you know, whatever different ideas we have outside of the band, what the band is? Are we lifting it up? And I was like, we're fucking lifting this motherfucker. Talk about a Led Zeppelin. I mean, I was like, dude, we got like Led Zeppelin with like a couple of anvils hanging off the back. Nice. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, shit. That's great. (laughs) And that, that one of the things about that was we had toured out, on our own, and we'd picked up a couple friends of John and David's from North Carolina, very polite and pleasant young ladies. And right before we got to Atlanta, Carmen Biggers joined us, who played in some bands in in Raleigh, who's like a really talented singer. And we were like, you know what? We've been having a bunch of luck finding places to stay on this whole tour since we've been just like on our own. But as soon as we get to Atlanta, it's going to be us competing yeah. with the champs and with Birds of Avalon for a place to stay. And we're going to be fucking fucked. And I was like, yeah. what are you guys talking about? Because I'd <laughs> never been on tour before. I was like, it's going to be fine. We're going to have no problem. We've had like luck every single night. The whole tour has been like <laughs> a magical <laughs> experience, even though I was like super duper sick at the time. I was expelling 
liters of the thickest, darkest green bile that you can imagine from my whatever, wherever it was, the deepest reaches of my sinuses. I was incredibly sick. I was wearing actually a respirator in the van during the day because smoking was still allowed inside the van. And I was ah. I, I was like not really down with smoking yeah. and I just couldn't deal with it. I, I was like, as a teenager, I was like, whatever, I don't give a shit if people smoke. But as I got older, I just couldn't, I wasn't, I was sensitive to it, I learned. So anyway, I was very, very, very sick. And we had a guest with us. And lo and behold, it turned out that the first show that we played with the fucking champs and with Birds of Avalon in Atlanta, as soon as we're finished, it's like everybody's scattered. We're like, normally, normally it's zero yeah. effort to find a place to stay. Gone. Kind of what you're talking about here is like the off the cuff, like we don't have a place to stay. We just finished the show. We'll probably yes. play with a band or meet somebody or like make a connection with somebody to get ourselves a place to stay so we don't have to like scramble for a hotel at like two in the morning. Right. And you might ask early before the show, yeah. you might ask around, sure. right? Yeah. And then and yeah. this, the situation that you guys are in is that you're on tour with two other bands that are much more well-known and much more air quotes cool than you guys. And so anyone who's going to put up a band is going to want to put up the fucking champs because they're the fucking champs. Exactly. Yeah. So how'd you handle it? Yeah. So, I'd been warned. I was like, you know, I was green. I was, it was my first U.S. tour ever. And so I didn't realize it was going to be a problem. And yeah, the thing you do is we were just like during the show, we're used to saying, hey, if anybody, you know, wants to put us up, we have no place to stay. And as you just said, it happens on a regular basis yeah. that people will just put you up because it's the cool thing to do or you play with one local band and that band is like, Hey, we would love to put you up. We can't, but our buddy yeah. has like the band crash house. I've done that a bunch of times. Like sure. a ton of bands have stayed with me in my old place in Portland. Yeah. So lo and behold, the dudes have been on tour a whole bunch. We're right. No one. <laughs> like every single night until this night, they were like, fuck, you guys want to stay with us? We have like a super rad, like 50 million inch TV and we have like a 70 pounds of weed and we have like pizza pockets. So come on over and, and crash yeah. with us. And then I was like, this is amazing. I love tour. And then we get to Atlanta and after the show, everybody's kind of like hiding their eyes from us because they're embarrassed. <laughs> you know, they're like, I don't want these guys to see that I'm directly shunning them and not accepting their offer to, you know, to stay at my house. And so the bar back took pity on us and said, nice, fuck you guys. I can see that you guys are, you know, if you guys really need a place to stay, you can stay with me, but I have to finish cleaning up the bar and then I'll come out and you guys can follow me to my house. And so we're just like hanging out on the back porch. It's at the Earl. We're partying. We're having a good time. We're hanging out with Carmen and it's getting later and later and it's getting colder and colder. And then around yeah. two, he comes out and he's like, well, I'm super sorry, but uh, legally I have to close this door, so I can't let you back into the club. <laughs> I can't. I can't let you back into the club anymore. And okay. So we're like, uh, well, we're all drinking a lot of beer, and so we have to pee a lot. But uh, uh, okay. And so now it's like three in the morning, and we're super cold, and we have no place to pee, and we have Carmen who just joined us on this leg of the tour, and. Shit started getting a little bit, you know, there's some friction and there's some like tension going on. 
And eventually, finally, there's some arguments, blah, blah, blah. And then around four or something in the morning, the guy comes out and he's like, okay, I'm done. Sorry about that. So, you know, we're a little bit fried. And I I think I was driving and Brian was in the passenger seat and we're driving behind this guy, guiding us to his house in his pickup truck. And I'm like, Brian, did you notice that there's a rope holding that guy's tailgate onto the back of his truck? And he's like, yeah, it's just like typical, like holding up the tailgate. And I was like, no, look closer. That rope is wrapped around the entire truck. It's holding nah. the it's holding the whole truck together <laughs> because the shit is so rusted out that if he took that rope out off, the whole truck would just fall apart. <laughs> and he was like, "No!" And then looks closer and he's like, "Oh shit, you're you're totally right." That so okay, fine. That's whatever. A guy's car. That's not a big deal. Yeah. And so we're driving along, and then it's like, like it's been twenty minutes. It's just cool. And then 45 minutes go by, and we end up at this guy's house. And and we're going the wrong direction, by the way. Totally wrong way from where we need to end up. Oh, yeah. So when you leave in the morning. Exactly. We just 45 added minutes. 45 minutes to our drive tomorrow. And to yeah. be fair, the guy who was like, I have a place for you guys to stay. There's a couch upstairs. You probably don't want to sleep on it because there's a cat that lives at our house called Retard. oh no and no disparaging remarks that's not a derogatory statement for me about people who have you know issues with their uh mental health or genetic disposition but they named their cat retard it was named mongoloid mongoloid was it mongoloid (laughs) better but how much better it's the historically same equivalent historically equivalent term we're like, whatever. Okay, so a, a couch that has maybe a cat. But it's also Devo reference. Yeah, it's a Devo reference. So you thought, well, maybe it's cool. Right. <laughs> so we're like, oh, it's probably fine. There's a couch upstairs. He said, there's a couch downstairs. There's a private room with a bed downstairs. And we're like, that sounds great. So we get to the house. We come in. And the couch that he told us about that Mongoloid had taken over in the upstairs, our impression was this cat maybe pooped poops on the house once and then they clean it off like a normal person would do the main couch in our living room we don't really want cat shit on the couch so we take it off and it turns out that that couch is completely covered in cat shit up i'm like you are a mongoloid poor thing i mean it didn't know where to poop it was a, it was a special needs cat so we end up at this dude's house with this cat mongoloid and you know, we have this very innocent, fragile human Carmen who in all fairness, she's actually very tough. And we've been told that there was like this couch upstairs that we don't want to sleep on covered in cat shit. Can't be that bad. bad. It's that bad and worse. (laughs) And so we go downstairs and it's like, okay, what's going on downstairs? There's a couch and there's, one mattress and the mattress is in this room that is if you were a serial rapist (laughs) and could design a room that would be the most terrifying horror story version of where you would want to corner your victims that is what you would end up with was this room was like concrete floor no electricity 
no lights possible. And then just like, just close your eyes and feel along the floor until you feel the mattress. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Try not to get sucked in by yeah. the skinless demon. Exactly. Razor shit right there. So, and then, you know, like our cell phones, our flip phones at the time were opening and trying to put the lights on. And the couch that was down there, there was it was pushed away from the wall. It was it was buried in just like six foot high piles of garbage. There's just garbage everywhere in in uh. the basement. Behind the couch was a pyramid of cat shit. And I, I honestly, How like, is luckily, a I real was, thing that someone would invite you over at that point. How are they not? I think the guy, like, in in retrospect, I realized that the guy was like very begrudgingly said, "I can see that you guys are yeah, desperate, sure. and if you have no other options, it's probably better." I think he was wrong. Yeah, but it's probably better to sleep at my place than it is to sleep you know, five people stuffed into your van or spend and, $50 yeah. on the shittiest hotel. Shit. If there was a needle in that hotel, we had, it. we, we literally had zero yeah. budget for hotels. Then we that. stayed in hotels, zero, zero times yeah. on that tour. There was no option for hotels. You know, one thing I would add about that whole story is that I'm still very grateful that we had a place to stay. I found a spot that was the shape of my body that didn't have poop on it in the basement. And I slept on it, and I was poop-free in the morning, and so that's great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the subject of... I don't like to begrudge people for their hospitality, because, like, you're acknowledging now, at the end of the day, he did put up his house for you guys. Like, he didn't even really want to, right? But he, he saw that you guys needed a place to stay. And that's, I mean... That's a nice thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. On the show, we we talk a lot about crappy places to stay and sort of like some of the crucibles that people have been <laughs> through just to get a night's rest on tour. Again, don't want to begrudge those people their hospitality. And then at the same time, this is a regular topic of conversation with touring musicians because it's it's a thing where you're often shocked and surprised at the level of filth that some people just seem to be comfortable living with every fucking day that guy went to work and then came back home from work and that was his basement not just not just his basement that's all i'm trying to say to make matters more unbelievable the next morning we're like okay this can't have been as bad as we thought it was last night right there's no way it could be as bad as we thought it was and the next morning in the light of day and you know like now we're hung over instead of drunk yeah sure this was fully a a hoarder's house. Like it was mm. before hoarders was a TV mm-hmm. show. There was like trails, yeah, through piles of trash going from the living room into the kitchen. The kitchen had just like, you know, a normal kitchen. It's like maybe there's some dirty dishes. This was like one to f- two foot high piles of dishes covering every single surface. You got to buy a lot of dishes to be able to pull that off. Is the thing. Yeah. Or yeah. a lot of pizza boxes. Yeah, no shit. But the thing is that like 10 in the morning, there's this kind of like pop music playing. And we're like, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, <And> no. <laughs> out trots this like bleach blonde, fully, you know, like full on makeup, like mall girl, like mall chick trots yeah. out. And it's like, good morning. Like, 
Hi guys, whatever she saw. Apparently it's a normal thing for her to see a bunch of strange, hairy, disgusting, you know, drunk, hungover dudes. And she just like trots out, does her makeup in the bathroom, goes to the kitchen, like fixes herself whatever she needs to, and then just goes off to work as though nothing weird has gone on at all. And it just made me realize human beings are really unpredictable. You have no idea what you're like. You can't yeah. guess what somebody's going to be like based on their outer appearance. And they're adaptable. You don't realize how adaptable they are until you're in a situation like that. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> Akimbo had one where, like, I, I won't go too far into this. We had one show in, like, Arizona somewhere where we did the thing. We, like, put out the APB for a place to stay. This young guy comes up to us. He's like, yeah, you guys can crash with me. I still with my mom if that's cool. And we're thinking, like, yes, that's totally cool. Usually when you stay with a kid who lives with his parents still and, and the parents are actually cool with bands coming over. Like this guy said, his mom was, that's usually awesome, right? Like you've got like breakfast cooked for you the next morning. Yeah. Or like, at the very least a shower. Or, yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah. Like sleeping bags and blankets laid out yeah. for you. Somebody like, gets a mattress maybe. <laughs> yeah. You get, you get, you get a little, you get a little taste of mom, a little taste of mom on the road. So we go to this guy's house and the whole house, it's a nice, house like it's a typical like suburban house but it's like there's definitely an adult lives here you know it's not a, it's not a young kid's party house and the house smells very strongly of febreze oh no like, really strongly but it doesn't look filthy it's just got this like chemically sort yeah. of like smell to it where it's like it's all you can almost taste it when you're in there for a little bit like i call the van it's in the air <laughs> But whatever, it's nice. There's like couches and shit. So some other people sleep on the couches. I put my sleeping bag down on the floor, sort of like in the living room between the coffee table and the TV. And as I'm lying down to go to bed, I'm like lowering my head. And as I'm getting more and more horizontal, my sight line finally crests beneath the coffee table. <laughs> and this is the point where I can see that every non-visible surface of floor from a standing position is covered in cat shit covered in cat shit. It's everywhere. It's under the coffee table, under all the chairs, under all the couches. Oh, they're up there scooting it. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, they're cleaning up just enough where it's out of sight, out of mind, but it's still all over the fucking house. It's so just, let me ask you, did you just roll over yeah, and fall man. asleep? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, you You're just not going to clean their house you? for them. You're not going to like accost, accost no. them for their filthy place. You know, you just got to go to bed. Well, that was an awful lot of cat shit talk. We warned you at the beginning of the episode that something like that might happen. And it did happen. Yeah. Something that I want to call attention to is protocol on who gets the van. Yeah, we've talked about that on the show before. <laughs> you know? And I think that's definitely, there's many times that I would just call the van in those cat shit cases. Yeah. Another protocol that I would like to talk about is how you carry your equipment and or <laughs> your, well, I would call it your, you know, any gear that you have with you, whether it's clothes, your pillow, like how about you put it in something soft and squishy and not in a giant Samsonite. Yeah, luggage. Right. 
Something that you can fit into a crevice yes. of a small vehicle. Well, not a small vehicle. Well, I mean a van that's yeah. already packed full to the brim, and then when you go to pick your singer up, and he shows up with all of his stuff in a giant, you know, <laughs> Samsonite style. We keep using that word, but it's you know, it's kind of a cliche with that huge, you know, vintage <laughs> plastic suitcase that will not squish. <laughs> Apparently, you can't even stomp through them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you do, your foot gets stuck. <laughs> Sounds like you have some experience with this. I do. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. Go back and put it in something squishy like a duffel bag or a backpack. Yep. And it better not be a big old hiking backpack either. We don't want that either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> once, <laughs> once we got an offer to do a tour with the Blood Brothers, uh-huh. and it blew our little minds. We were like, yes, absolutely, we sure. can do that. Our van situation at the time was extremely sketch. And so the only way we thought we could do it was to rent a van. Sure. Yeah. Because we were young, the only van they would rent us was a minivan. They wouldn't oh, yeah, rent us a full size. You have to be like 30 size. before yeah. you can rent a full size van, yeah. which is another weird trick about touring that you don't realize <laughs> until it's too late. <laughs> so, our only options are a minivan, and we are a band that has lots of equipment. Yes. Giant um, drum kit, even. Yep. Drum yep. kit probably barely even fits in there. Drum kit took priority because mm-hmm. we were touring with Blood Brothers, and they had a bunch of yeah. cabs that we, we asked them, like, hey, can we, can we use your cabs? We're in this weird sure. situation. And they said, fine, pick up the minivan, drive it to the practice space. We get the drums in, we get the amps in, we get the guitars in, we get the merch in. Yeah. And there's no room, Jeff. There's no, no there be. room at Even all. Even with just three people in yeah. the van. You have to take an, a seat out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. A seat, seat has been removed. <laughs> and the next day we're leaving on tour, and the next morning we're picking up our guitar player, Burke, who's mm-hmm. a very good friend of ours. <laughs> who was in Akimbo for a long time, who we will have on the show because we have yes. so many fantastic stories about touring with Burke. we got to talk to that guy. So that night, I text Burke. I was like, okay, everything's in the van, but I'm letting you know, you got to pack light. Like, bring as little shit as possible because we have no... Like, the amps don't even fit in the back with the gear. Yeah, sure. They're on the floor underneath our feet <laughs> at the bench seat. <laughs> and I think at one point, someone was even had to, like... You had to take shifts holding a guitar oh, amp in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> Next morning we pick them up. Me and Nat have the bare minimum sure. of shit in our backpacks for like clothes and essentials and all that. Bert comes out of his house with the biggest fucking duffel bag <laughs> well, full of clothes, like, <laughs> like all his clothes and like socks. And sure. then he's got a cot. And I've talked about this fucking cot oh, on yeah, the show. Yeah, before. I remember the cot. That's <laughs> what I this, remember. <laughs> he's got this big old cot and it's it's not big in terms of camping equipment, but in terms of like the amount of space we have in the van, it's fucking big. And I just looked at him and I was like, I said pack light, man. <laughs> What are all these bags? All this luggage. It's a great way to start a tour with a fight about luggage. <laughs> I know. We sorted it out real quick, but it, it started a, uh, a long, bitter relationship between me and Burke's cot. <laughs> <laughs> but he had to have it, man. It's the only way he could he sleep. Did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was that nerd towards the end of touring for me because uh, my back was so bad that I had to bring like an air mattress to mm-hmm. sleep on. Or I thought I did. This is before I would spend the extra money and get a small, like, really nice thermarest. Oh, yeah. Thermarest is clutch. Those are great. And so small. Absolute clutch. And save your back in any situation. Always comfortable. Wood floor. It doesn't matter. I didn't know that. And then, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and I have a bad back. Or I did before I got surgery. And so here's, you know, this half inflated, you know, thing that I'm (laughs) saying. It's not good for your back. No. I think I tossed that thing after the second night. (laughs) (laughs) I had a really good one. I found a really good one at Army Navy Mm -hmm. Surplus. It was like thick and cushy yeah my fucking cat chewed a hole in it. <laughs> i've never been able to find one that was so good 
Oh my God. So this is part one of two. Yeah. This is the end of the season. We've got, you know, this episode and another episode coming at you with Red Fang. And uh, then we're going to take a little break like we always do. A little um, reset. Reset a little bit. And try and, uh, you know, I know we have this long list and a short list of human beings that we want to yep. interview. And the great thing is, is that we can now interview some of them in person. Oh, that's an interesting thing about what you're hearing right now is that John and I are in the same room together. We are vaccinated and in Jeff's studio. We are. We're yep. hanging out in the studio that uh, I built with my own two hands during the pandemic. Yep. And John has not seen the inside of this. <laughs> For a very long time. Yeah. yeah. Back when it was it was a, a wooden walls. Yeah. So we're really excited about that, and we're really excited to get people back down into my basement. Uh, they can enjoy the Striper bathroom. They can, <laughs> we can sit around and talk books and records before we get started. Hell I can't yeah. wait to have it. And, you know, the beauty of this, though, silver lining, is that now we have an electronic way to interview people all around the world, so our bucket list gets larger, and we can yeah. actually get things, you know, mark them off. So I'm yeah. really excited about that. Yeah, season three is going to be good. We're looking at the list of people that we already know we can talk to. Mm -hmm. It's going to be nice. Yes. There's a whole bunch of people who are like, maybe we can get that person. And we're just going to try and see what happens. Yeah, we feel like if we reach out, it will happen. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I think we're there now. Yeah. So uh, more exciting underground musicians and more exciting, maybe a little bit more well-known musicians, hopefully next season. Well, maybe we'll give a, a few leaders in the next episode. So in the meantime, we'll see you for part two. And let's, I'm going to dig this out because I know I have this in my crate, but let's play some Last of the Juanitas, which yes. is the, actually yes. the first band I ever saw with any of those guys in it. Uh -huh. I saw them at the Velvet Elvis and I love them so much I bought their single. And they weren't even from Portland at that time. Am I right? I have no idea. Yeah, I feel like maybe <laughs> they were from another state. But we'll look that up. We'll talk about that on the All I know is episode. they were on my radar. I can't remember how I heard of them, but I saw them a couple times when they came through town. And I don't remember who told me to go see yeah. them or, or anything. Word got out really fast. Yeah. I know I talked about them when I saw them. Oh, I think I played with them in Olympia mm. a couple times. That makes sense. The first time I saw Red Fang, Akimbo was doing a tour with The Sword. Mm -hmm. And our Portland date had this band Red Fang on it. This was when Red Fang first started. Yeah. We load in. We're hanging out backstage. This strange band Red Fang shows up <laughs> and they start loading in and in walks fucking Brian mm -hmm. who we've just talked to yeah who was I see him and I was like that guy was in Last of the Juanitas <laughs> and I fucking shat myself I was yeah. so excited it's like oh I love Last of the Juanitas and at that point they were they were on the way out I don't think they had officially called yeah. it quits but I think they were close to being done but yeah this the moment I saw Brian and Red Fang, like they were. <laughs> That's how you know they're going to be good. instantly legitimized. I was like, Absolutely. this band, I'm going to pay fucking attention to. And of course, they're Red Fang. They kicked yeah. ass, right? They yeah. totally kicked ass. Last of all, I need is was just this dirty, nasty, loud, instrumental sort of like Super weird, heavy, and really good changes. Yeah. And like, like a bunch of weird changes that came at you out of yeah. nowhere. So, like, I don't want to say it was math rock. It just felt, like, very yeah, it wasn't unorthodox. Like Don Caballero or anything. No, no, no. But uh, it definitely had, like, its own vibe. Very original. And I know when you saw them for the first time, you did. You talked about them. They were one of those bands. They had you know? a drummer who hit drums harder than you thought it was possible to play <laughs> drums. It was, like, punishing how hard that drummer yeah. would play. Yeah. Anyways, here's some Last of the Juanitas.
This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out and help us set the record straight. Tomorrow we die podcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrow we die podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski, and this is Tomorrow Tomorrow We We Die. Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E-D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is tomorrowwediepodcast at gmail.com, and the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcasts produced by Jeffrey M. McNulty at the Pachinko Parlor in Seattle, Washington. Additional editing by Joe Plummer and Chris Dury. Background music is by Noel Frequency Impulsor. Tomorrow We Die is produced in partnership with Ruinous Media. Check out the rest of the Ruinous Media family at ruinousmedia.com and on all the major social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening.